section twenty seven of psychology of the unconscious by carl jung this librivox recording is in the public domain section twenty seven chapter eight part one the sacrifice after this long digression let us return to miss miller's vision we can now answer the question as to the significance of siegfried's longing for brunhilde it is the striving of the libido away from the mother towards the mother this paradoxical sentence may be translated as follows as long as the libido is satisfied merely with fantasies it moves in itself in its own depths in the mother when the longing of our author rises in order to escape the magic circle of the incestuous and therefore pernicious object and it does not succeed in finding reality then the object is and remains irrevocably the mother only the overcoming of the obstacles of reality brings the deliverance from the mother who is the continuous and inexhaustible source of life for the creator but death for the cowardly timid and sluggish whoever is acquainted with psychoanalysis knows how often neurotics cry out against their parents to be sure such complaints and reproaches are often justified on account of the common human imperfections but still more often they are reproaches which should really be directed towards themselves reproach and hatred are always futile attempts to free oneself apparently from the parents but in reality from one's own hindering longing for the parents our author proclaims through the mouth of her infantile hero Chawantapal, a series of insults against her own family we can assume that she must renounce all these tendencies because they contain an unrecognized wish this hero of many words who performs few deeds and indulges in futile yearnings is the libido which has not fulfilled its destiny but which turns round and round in the kingdom of the mother and in spite of all its longings accomplishes nothing only he can break this magic circle who possesses the courage of the will to live and the heroism to carry it through could this yearning hero youth chawantapal but put an end to his existence he would probably rise again in the form of a brave man seeking real life this necessity imposes itself upon the dreamer as a wise counsel and hint of the unconscious in the following monologue of chawantapal he cries sadly in all the world there is not a single one i have sought among a hundred tribes i have watched a hundred moons since i began can it be that there is not a solitary being who will ever know my soul yes by the sovereign god yes but ten thousand moons will wax and wane before that pure soul is born and it is from another world 
that her parents will come to this one she will have pale skin and pale locks she will know sorrow before her mother bears her suffering will accompany her she will seek also and she will find no one who understands her temptation will often assail her soul but she will not yield in her dreams i will come to her and she will understand i have kept my body inviolate i have come ten thousand moons before her epoch and she will come ten thousand moons too late but she will understand there is only once in all the ten thousand moons that a soul like hers is born thereupon a green serpent darts from the bushes glides towards him and stings him on the arm then attacks the horse which succumbs first then chuantapal says to his horse adieu faithful brother enter into rest i have loved you and you have served me well adieu soon i will rejoin you then to the snake thanks little sister you have put an end to my wanderings then he cried with grief and spoke his prayer sovereign god take me soon i have tried to know thee and to keep thy law oh do not suffer my body to fall into corruption and decay and to furnish the vultures with food a smoking crater is perceived at a distance the rumbling of an earthquake is heard followed by a trembling of the ground chuantapal cries in the delirium of suffering while the earth covers his body i have kept my body inviolate ah she understands yani wama yani wama thou who comprehendeth me chuantapal's prophecy is a repetition of longfellow's hiawatha where the poet could not escape sentimentality and at the close of the career of the hero hiawatha he brings in the saviour of the white people in the guise of the arriving illustrious representatives of the christian religion and morals one thinks of the work of redemption of the spaniards in mexico and peru with this prophecy of chuantapal the personality of the author is again placed in the closest relation to the hero and indeed as the real object of chuantapal's longing most certainly the hero would have married her had she lived at his time but unfortunately she comes too late the connection proves our previous assertion that the libido moves round in a circle the author loves herself that is to say she as the hero is sought by one who comes too late this motive of coming too late is characteristic of the infantile love the father and the mother cannot be overtaken the separation of the two personalities by ten thousand moons is a wish fulfilment with that the incest relation is annulled in an effectual manner this white heroine will seek without being understood she is not understood because she cannot understand herself rightly and she will not find but in dreams at least they will find each other and she will understand the next sentence of the text reads i have kept my body inviolate this proud sentence which naturally only a woman can express because man is not accustomed 
to boast in that direction again confirms the fact that all enterprises have remained but dreams that the body has remained inviolate when the hero visits the heroine in a dream it is clear what is meant this assertion of the hero's that he has remained inviolate refers back to the unsuccessful attempt upon his life in the previous chapter huntsman with the arrow and clearly explains to us what was really meant by this assault that is to say the refusal of the coetus fantasy here the wish of the unconscious obtrudes itself again after the hero had repressed it the first time and thereupon he painfully and hysterically utters his monologue temptation will often assail her soul but it will not yield this very bold assertion reduces noblesse oblige the unconscious to an enormous infantile megalomania which is always the case when the libido is compelled through similar circumstances to regressions only once in all the ten thousand moons is a soul born like mine here the unconscious ego expands to an enormous degree evidently in order to cover with its boastfulness a large part of the neglected duty of life but punishment follows at its heels whoever prides himself too much on having sustained no wound in the battle of life lays himself open to the suspicion that in his fighting has been with words only whilst actually he has remained far away from the firing line this spirit is just the reverse of the pride of those savage women who point with satisfaction to the countless scars which were given them by their men in the sexual fight for supremacy in accordance with this and in logical continuation of the same all that follows is expressed in figurative speech the orgiastic okide moriturus in its admixture with the reckless laughter of the dionysian frenzy confronts us here in sorry disguise with a sentimental stage trickery worthy of our posthumous edition of christian morals in place of the positive phallus the negative appears and leads the hero's horse his libido animalis not to satisfaction but into eternal peace also the fate of the hero this end means that the mother represented as the jaws of death devours the libido of the daughter therefore instead of life and procreative growth only fantastic self-oblivion results this weak and inglorious end has no elevating or illuminating meaning so long as we consider it merely as the solution of an individual erotic conflict the fact that the symbols under which the solution takes place have actually a significant aspect reveals to us that behind the individual mask behind the veil of individuation a primitive idea stands the severe and serious features of which take from us the courage to consider the sexual meaning of the miller symbolism as all-sufficient it is not to be forgotten that the sexual fantasies of the neurotic 
and the exquisite sexual language of dreams are regressive phenomena the sexuality of the unconscious is not what it seems to be it is merely a symbol it is a thought bright as day clear as sunlight a decision a step forward to every goal of life but expressed in the unreal sexual language of the unconscious and in the thought-form of an earlier stage a resurrection so to speak of earlier modes of adaptation when therefore the unconscious pushes into the foreground the coitus wish negatively expressed it means somewhat as follows under similar circumstances primitive man acted in such and such a manner the mode of adaptation which to-day is unconscious for us is carried on by the savage negro of the present day whose undertakings beyond those of nutrition appertain to sexuality characterized by violence and cruelty therefore in view of the archaic mode of expression of the miller fantasy we are justified in assuming the correctness of our interpretation for the lowest and nearest plane only a deeper stratum of meaning underlies the earlier assertion that the figure of chewantipole has the character of cassius who has a lamb as a companion therefore chewantipole is the portion of the dreamer's libido bound up with the mother and therefore masculine hence he is her infantile personality the childishness of character which as yet is unable to understand that one must leave father and mother when the time has come in order to serve the destiny of the entire personality this is outlined in nietzsche's words free dost thou call thyself thy dominant thought would i hear and not that thou hast thrown off a yoke art thou one who had the right to throw off a yoke there are many who throw away their last value when they throw away their servitude therefore when chuantipal dies it means that herein is a fulfilment of a wish that this infantile hero who cannot leave the mother's care may die and if with that the bond between mother and daughter is severed a great step forward is gained both for inner and outer freedom but man wishes to remain a child too long he would fain stop the turning of the wheel which rolling bears along with it the years man wishes to keep his childhood and eternal youth rather than to die and suffer corruption in the grave oh do not suffer my body to fall into decay and corruption nothing brings the relentless flight of time and the cruel perishability of all blossoms more painfully to our consciousness than an inactive and empty life idle dreaming is the mother of the fear of death the sentimental deploring of what has been and the vain turning back of the clock although man can forget in the long perhaps too long guarded feelings of youth in the dreamy state of stubbornly held remembrances 
that the wheel rolls onward nevertheless mercilessly does the grey hair the relaxation of the skin and the wrinkles in the face tell us that whether or not we expose the body to the destroying powers of the whole struggle of life the poison of the stealthy creeping serpent of time consumes our bodies which alas we so dearly love nor does it help if we cry out with the melancholy hero chawantapal i have kept my body inviolate flight from life does not free us from the law of age and death the neurotic who seeks to get rid of the necessities of life wins nothing and lays upon himself the frightful burden of a premature age and death which must appear especially cruel on account of the total emptiness and meaninglessness of his life if the libido is not permitted to follow the progressive life which is willing to accept all dangers and all losses then it follows the other road sinking into its own depths working down into the old foreboding regarding the immortality of all life to the longing for rebirth hurlderlin exemplifies this path in his poetry and his life i leave the poet to speak in his song to the rose in the mother womb eternal sweetest queen of every leaf still the living and supernal nature carries thee and me little rose the storm's fierce power strips our leaves and alters us yet the deathless germ will tower to new blooms miraculous the following comments may be made upon the parable of this poem the rose is the symbol of the beloved woman Hayden Ruslan, heather rose of gerda the rose blooms in the rose garden of the maiden therefore it is also a direct symbol of the libido when the poet dreams that he is with the rose in the mother womb of nature then psychologically the fact is that his libido is with the mother here is an eternal germination and renewal we have come across this motive already in the hieros gamos hymn iliad fourteen the nuptials in the blessed west that is to say the union in and with the mother plutarch shows us this motive in naive form in his tradition of the osiris myth osiris and isis copulating in the mother's womb this is also perceived by herderlin as the enviable prerogative of the gods to enjoy everlasting infancy thus in hyperion he says fateless like the sleeping nursling breathe the heavenly ones chastely guarded in modest buds their spirits blossom eternally and their quiet eyes gaze out in placid eternal serenity this quotation shows the meaning of heavenly bliss Herlderlin never was able to forget this first and greatest happiness the dreamy picture of which estranged him from real life moreover in this poem the ancient motive of the twins in the mother's womb is intimated isis and osiris in the mother's womb the motive is archaic 
there is a legend in frobenius of how the great serpent appearing from the little serpent in the hollow tree through the so-called stretching out of the serpent has finally devoured all men devouring mother death and only a pregnant woman remains alive she digs a ditch covers it with a stone grave mother's womb and living there she gives birth to twins the subsequent dragon-killers the hero in double form man and phallus man and woman man with his libido the dying and rising sun this existence together in the mother is to be found also very beautifully expressed in an african myth frobenius in the beginning abbatala the heaven and adudua the earth his wife lay pressed firmly together in a calabaz the guarding in a modest bud is an idea which has appeared already in plutarch where it is said that the sun was born in the morning from a flower bud brahma too comes from the bud which also gave birth in assam to the first human pair humanity an unfinished poem scarcely sprouted from the waters o earth are thy old mountain-tops and diffuse odours while the first green islands full of young woods breathe delight through the may air over the ocean and joyfully the eye of the sun-god looked down upon the firstlings of the trees and flowers laughing children of his youth born from thee went on the fairest of the islands once lay thy most beautiful child under the grapes lay after a mild night in the dawn in the daybreak a child born to thee o earth and the boy looks up familiarly to his father helios and tasting the sweet grapes he picked the sacred vine for his nurse and soon he is grown the beasts fear him for he is different from them this man he is not like thee the father for the lofty soul of the father is in him boldly united with thy pleasures and thy sadness o earth he may resemble the eternal nature the mother of gods the terrible mother ah therefore o earth his presumption drives him away from thy breast and thy gifts are vain the tender ones ever and ever too high does the proud heart beat out from the sweet meadow of his shores man must go into the flowerless waters and though his groves shine with golden fruit like the starry night yet he digs he digs caves in the mountains and seeks in the mines far from the sacred rays of his father faithless also to the sun-god who does not love weaklings and mocks at cares ah freer do the birds of the wood breathe although the breast of man heaves wilder and more proudly his pride becomes fear and the tender flowers of his peace do not bloom for long this poem betrays to us the beginning of the discord between the poet and nature he begins to be estranged from reality the natural actual existence it is a remarkable idea how the little child chooses 
the vine for his nurse this dionysian allusion is very old in the significant blessing of jacob it is said of judah genesis chapter forty nine verse eleven binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine a gnostic gem has been preserved upon which there is a representation of an ass suckling her foal above which is the symbol of cancer and the circumscription d n i h y x p s dominus noster jesu christus with the supplement dei filius as justinus martyr indignantly observes the connection of the christian legend with that of dionysus are unmistakable compare for example the miracle of the wine in the last-named legend the ass plays an important role generally speaking the ass has an entirely different meaning in the mediterranean countries than with us an economic one therefore it is a benediction when jacob says genesis chapter forty nine verse fourteen ishakar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens the above-mentioned thought is altogether oriental just as in egypt the new-born son is a bull-calf in the rest of the orient it can easily be an ass's foal to whom the vine is the nurse hence the picture in the blessing of jacob where it is said of judah his eyes are ruddy with wine and his teeth white with milk the mock crucifix of the palatine with an ass's head evidently alludes to a very significant background to nature while about thy veil i lingered playing and like any bud upon thee hung still i felt thy heart in every strain sound about my heart that shook and clung while i groped with faith and painful yearning to your picture glowing and unfurled still i found a place for all my burning tears and for my love i found a world to the sun my heart before all others turned and felt its potent magicry and it called the stars its little brothers and it called the spring god's melody and each breeze in groves or woodlands fruity held thy spirit and that same sweet joy moved the wellsprings of my heart with beauty those were golden days without alloy where the spring is cool in every valley and the youngest bush and twig is green and about the rocks the grasses rally and the branches show the sky between there i lay imbibing every flower in a rapt intoxicated glee and surrounded by a golden shower from their heights the clouds sank down to me often as a weary wandering river longs to join the ocean's placid mirth i have wept and lost myself for ever in the fullness of thy love o earth then with all the ardour of my being forth i rushed from time's slow apathy like a pilgrim home from travel fleeing to the arms of rapt eternity blessed be childhood's golden dreams their power hid from me life's dismal poverty all the heart's rich germs ye brought to flower things i could not reach ye gave to me 
in the beauty and thy light o nature free from care and from compulsion free fruitful love attained a kingly stature rich as harvests reaped in arcady that which brought me up is dead and riven dead the youthful world which was my shield and this breast which used to harbour heaven dead and dry as any stubble field still my spring-like sorrows sing and cover with their friendly comfort every smart but the morning of my life is over and the spring is faded from my heart shadows are the things that once we cherished love itself must fade and cannot bide since the golden dreams of youth have perished even friendly nature's self has died heart poor heart those days could never show it how far off thy home and where it lies now alas thou never more wilt know it if a dream of it does not suffice palinodia what gathers about me earth in your dusky friendly green what are you blowing towards me winds what do you bring again there is a rustling in all the tree-tops why do you wake my soul why do ye stir in me the past ye kind ones oh spare me and let them rest oh do not mock those ashes of my joy oh change your changeless gods and grow in your youth over the old ones and if you would be akin to the mortals the young girls will blossom for you and the young heroes will shine and sweeter than ever morning will play upon the cheeks of the happy ones and ravishing sweet you will hear the songs of those who are without care ah once the living waves of song surged out of every bush to me and still the heavenly ones glanced down upon me their eyes shining with joy the separation from the blessedness of childhood from youth even has taken the golden glamour from nature and the future's hopeless emptiness but what robs nature of its glamour and life of its joy is the poison of the retrospective longing which harks back in order to sink into its own depths empedocles thou seekest life and a godly fire springs to thee gushing and gleaming from the deeps of the earth and with shuddering longing throws thee down into the flames of etna so through a queen's wanton whim pearls are dissolved in wine restrain her not didst thou not throw thy riches poet into the bright and bubbling cup still thou art holy to me as the power of earth which took thee away lovely assassin and i would have followed the hero to the depths had love not held me this poem betrays the secret longing for the maternal depths he would like to be sacrificed in the chalice dissolved in wine like pearls the crater of rebirth yet love holds him within the light of day the libido still has an object for the sake of which life is worth living but were this object abandoned then the libido would sink into the realm of the subterranean the mother who brings forth again obituary unfinished poem daily i go a different path sometimes into the green wood sometimes to the bath in the spring or to the rocks where the roses bloom 
from the top of the hill i look over the land yet nowhere thou lovely one nowhere in the light do i find thee and in the breezes my words die away the sacred words which once we had i thou art far away o holy countenance and the melody of thy life is kept from me no longer overheard and ah where are thy magic songs which once soothed my heart with the peace of heaven how long it is how long the youth is aged the very earth itself which once smiled on me has grown different oh farewell the soul of every day departs and departing turns to thee and over thee there weeps the eye that becoming brighter looks down there where thou tarriest this distinctly suggests a renunciation an envy of one's own youth that time of freedom which one would like to retain through a deep-rooted dislike to all duty and endeavour which is denied an immediate pleasure reward painstaking work for a long time and for a remote object is not in the nature of child or primitive man it is difficult to say if this can really be called laziness but it seems to have not a little in common with it in so far as the psychic life on a primitive stage be it of an infantile or archaic type possesses an extreme inertia and irresponsibility in production and non-production the last stanza portends evil a gazing towards the other land the distant coast of sunrise or sunset love no longer holds the poet the bonds with the world are torn and he calls loudly for assistance to the mother achilles lordly son of the gods because you lost your loved one you went to the rocky coast and cried aloud to the flood till the depths of the holy abyss heard and echoed your grief from the far reaches of your heart down deep down far from the clamour of ships deep under the waves in a peaceful cave dwelt the beautiful thetis she who protected you the goddess of the sea mother of the youth was she the powerful goddess she who once had lovingly nursed him on the rocky shore of his island she who had made him a hero with the might of her strengthening bath and the powerful song of the waves and the mother mourning hearkened to the cry of her child and rose like a cloud from the bed of the sea soothing with tender embraces the pains of her darling and he listened while she caressing promised to soften his grief son of the gods oh were i like you then could i confidently call on the heavenly ones to hearken to my secret grief but never shall i see this i shall bear the disgrace as if i never belonged to her even though she thinks of me with tears beneficent ones and yet ye hear the lightest prayers of men ah how rapt and fervently i have worshipped you holy light since i have lived the earth and its fountains and woodlands father ether and my heart has felt you about me so ardent and pure oh soften my sorrows ye kind ones that my soul may not be silenced may not be struck dumb too early that i may live and thank ye o heavenly powers with joyful songs through all the hurrying days thank ye for gifts of the past for the joys of vanished youth 
and then pray take me the lonely one graciously unto yourselves these poems describe more plainly than could be depicted with meagre words the persistent arrest and the constantly growing estrangement from life the gradual deep immersion into the maternal abyss of the individual being the apocalyptic song of patmos is strangely related to these songs of retrogressive longing it enters as a dismal guest surrounded by the mist of the deaths the gathering clouds of insanity bred through the mother in it the primitive thoughts of the myth the suggestion clad in symbols of the sun-like death and resurrection of life again burst forth similar things are to be found in abundance among sick people of this sort i reproduce some significant fragments from patmos near is the god and hard to comprehend but where danger threatens the rescuer appears these words mean that the libido has now sunk to the lowest depths where the danger is great faust part two mother scene there the god is near there man may find the inner sun his own nature sun-like and self-renewing hidden in the mother-womb like the sun in the night-time in chasms and in darkness dwell the eagles and fresh and fearlessly the sons of the alps pass swiftly over the abyss upon lightly swinging bridges with these words the dark fantastic poem passes on the eagle the bird of the sun dwells in darkness the libido has hidden itself but high above it the inhabitants of the mountains pass probably the gods ye are walking above in the light symbols of the sun wandering across the sky like the eagle flying over the depths above and around are reared the summits of time and the loved ones though near live on deeply separated mountains so give us waters of innocence and give us wings of true understanding with which to pass across and to return again the first is a gloomy picture of the mountains and of time although caused by the sun wandering over the mountains the following picture a nearness and at the same time separation of the lovers and seems to hint at life in the underworld where he is united with all that once was dear to him and yet cannot enjoy the happiness of reunion because it is all shadows and unreal and devoid of life here the one who descends drinks the waters of innocence the waters of childhood the drink of rejuvenation so wings may grow and winged he may soar up again into life like the winged sun which arises like a swan from the water wings to pass across and to return again so i spoke and lo a genie carried me off swifter than i had imagined and farther than ever i had thought from my own house it grew dark as i went in the twilight the shadowy wood and the yearning brooks of my homeland grew vague behind me and i knew the country no longer after the dark and obscure words of the introduction wherein the poet expresses the prophecy of what is to come the sun journeys begins night journey in the sea towards the east towards the ascent towards the mystery of eternity and rebirth of which nietzsche also dreams and which he expressed in significant words oh how could i not be ardent for eternity and for the nuptial ring of rings 
the ring of the return never yet have i found the woman from whom i wish children unless she would be this woman whom i love for i love thee o eternity Herdelin expresses this same longing in a beautiful symbol the individual traits of which are already familiar to us but soon in a fresh radiance mysteriously blooming in golden smoke with the rapidly growing steps of the sun making a thousand summits fragrant asia arose and dazzled i sought one whom i knew for unfamiliar to me were the broad roads where from timolus comes the gilded pactole and taurus stands and Asagus, and the gardens are full of flowers but high up in the light the silvery snow gleams a silent fire and as a symbol of eternal life on the impassable walls grows the ancient ivy and carried by columns of living cedars and laurels are the solemn divinely built palaces the symbol is apocalyptic the maternal city in the land of eternal youth surrounded by the verdure and flowers of imperishable spring the poet identifies himself here with john who lived on patmos who was once associated with the son of the highest and saw him face to face there at the mystery of the vine they met there at the hour of the holy feast they gathered and feeling the approach of death in his great quiet soul the lord pouring out his last love spoke and then he died much could be said of it how his triumphant glance the happiest of all was seen by his companions even at the last therefore he sent the spirit unto them and the house trembled solemnly and with distant thunder the storm of god rolled over the cowering heads where deep in thought the heroes of death were assembled now when he imparting appeared once more before them then the kingly day the day of the sun was put out and the gleaming sceptre formed of his rays was broken and suffered like a god itself yet it shall return and glow again when the right time comes end of section twenty seven